Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fulton. The Pro, Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume 1. One. Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Wrestling You're listening to the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Finney Berry, and my guest today is Denny Brown, former NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion. How are you doing? Of the world. Of the world, that's right. Yeah, you sound like Robert Gibson every time he is. Hey, Junior Heavyweight Champion of the world, dude. Come on now. Don't cut me short. I'm already short enough. I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for giving me your time. My pleasure. You know, you had a very interesting career. For those who uh, may not be familiar with you, you what, what year did you start wrestling, Denny? Well, I'm kind of fuzzy on that. Um, my, you know, in, in the way that I broke into the business and everything, you know, because I was a steel worker, wet iron, you know, uh, uh, actually welding. I been in the Navy, gotten out of the Navy, and went to welding school, you know, finished up welding school, and I, I got out of the Navy, see, 77, somewhere in that neighborhood, so, so I started school about then, went to school for about a year and a half, well, almost two years, so that put me right around 79 when I got out of welding school, you know, because I was a ship fitter in the Navy, which was also a, a welder. Um so I guess about 79 when I finally went to Knoxville uh, because my uncle lived up there, my aunt, my uncle, and my niece, my niece, rather. And they told us, my uncle said, oh, come on up. I'll get you in there with the Boilermakers Union so you can, uh, you know, make a little money with a welder up here. We got the big power plants and all that and everything. And, you know, and uh, they're doing good. They're making good money. I get up there, damn it, I do everything they want me to do. And the next thing I know, I get on the phone with the, the union guy, and he's talking to me. And the uh, first thing that comes out of his mouth goes, you ain't from around here, are you, boy? And I said, 
No, I'm not. I'm from Florida. Well, we can't use you. <laughs> oh, man, you got to be kidding me. So that was the start of it where um, I didn't plan on getting into wrestling. It wasn't my... Wasn't the scope of, uh, you know, what I was looking at, but, uh, but, you know, becoming a welder was. And so, uh, my uncle, he goes, well, hell, he says, I know a guy that trained with this other guy over here in Knoxville and, um, maybe, uh, maybe you can catch up with him and maybe you can get into wrestling. And I looked at him and go, I'm 165 pounds. What the hell am I going to do in wrestling? And he says, oh, you're fine. You're big enough. But I had nothing else to do, you know. So so I was, so I, I would have guessed I'd say the answer to your question there about when I broke in probably in about 1979. But it was a, a funny way of getting into the business, you know, because uh, he finally got a hold of the guy who was a millwright, which is a sheet metal worker. And he said, well, I haven't, I, you know, I didn't go into the wrestling business. I did it for a little bit and got out. It wasn't for me. It wasn't no, no place to go or anything to do. And he made better money and it was, you know, uh, more profitable for him to be a millwright. So he said, but you can give him a call. But the uh, only thing number I got is the number to Frisch's big boy down, down in Knoxville. And you can give him a call there and see because he always hangs out there at nighttime after he leaves the bars or so, whatever. The guy's name was Rick Connors, who was the guy that would train me. So I said, well, that's a roundabout way of getting into something somewhere. So I said, what the heck, I'll give a call. Left a message with the manager, Trisha's Big Boy Restaurant, the home of the Big Boy Fry thing, whatever it was. They sold their cheeseburgers, hamburgers. And about two weeks later, the guy, actually, Rick Connors, actually called me. Amazing. And I said, well, this is the craziest thing I ever heard. So we talked for about 20, 30 minutes, I guess. I trained with him with no place to go. There was no territories anymore. Southeastern was run by the Fullers, and they took off and went to Pensacola. So there wasn't anybody there. They had to split up with the Malenko and Garvin, and the Fullers split up, and uh, Malenko and Garvin and that crew that was with Southeastern tried to take over the Knoxville area, but they didn't. they didn't succeed. So, yeah, so that's why I was left there in Knoxville, no place to wrestle. So I trained for two years with this guy before I actually got into the ring. Did you go to Florida because that was where you're from? Or? Well, it's my home, yeah. I'm, this is my hometown, St. Petersburg. I'm from here. I was born in Hawaii, but I was, I've been here uh, longer than I can remember and don't remember too many places else, you know, other, you know, cause my dad was in Marine, so we traveled a little bit, but for the most part, I've been here since about, uh, I got pictures of me dating from 1960, 1962, so I've been here for a good over 60 years. But no. you were wrestling in Tennessee there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, well, they had a um, Blackjack Mulligan and uh, Rick Flair. Uh, went 25% each, and then uh, Jim Crocker went, went through in for 50% of the territory. And I didn't think, I don't think that Jim Crockett thought that they were going to be successful, but they were. And, uh, and But I wasn't picked to be one of the guys that, you know, that uh, I could work. They didn't offer me a job, 
I could go down and do TV every Saturday, which I did. And I worked with everybody that, um, that they threw at me, a lot of the guys that were there. So my my curiosity is, though, that you you said that the Fullers went to uh, uh, Pensacola, Pensacola, but when when did you when did you get to Florida? Uh, Florida, I think I got back here seventy nine. There was there for a couple of years. Worked out of Knoxville. Was going back and forth between Knoxville, Chattanooga, and uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. Worked there for a while, on a, you know, with everybody for a while. And then I got back to Florida, I guess, 81, 82, because uh, they shut down Knoxville because they didn't want to, they were successful in the Crockett. They didn't want them to be successful. So I came back home, and then I went back into my friends owned the steel, uh, uh, steel company, and I went to work for them for a while. And then uh, I tried to get in over at here, champion, over here in Florida Wrestling, over there with the Grams, but... You know, it was it was tough getting in because nobody knew me until uh, some of the guys in Flair and Les Thornton and all them who came through Knoxville. I went down to see them at the Bayfront Center when they had a show down there. And Dory Funk Jr. was the booker, so I went down to say hi to Les, and he and he got me back in the dressing room. And Flair come up because I worked with Flair, new Flair from Knoxville, and, and Dory. So I started working there, I guess, in '82, '83. What was that scene like in, in the early 80s, 82, 83? What was, because Florida Championship Wrestling, that was, that was on fire. Well, Dory was there, you know, before, it was, this was before Dusty. Dusty, it was, you know, it was, Florida's always been a good territory because you had, you know, you always had good bookers anyway, you know, I, I, well, I don't know prior to Dory. I worked for Dory, you know, and Eddie Graham was always there and always had his, you know, control of the business in itself, but it was nice. I mean, I loved working there, uh, you know, you know, and then I could, I could, you know, do some TV and then I got into the point to where, uh, I lost my job going down doing TV for Eddie and Eddie kept calling me after the first time I ever worked TV down there with, uh, Jimmy Garvin. I, 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 I they put me with him on a, a TV match, never seen me before and they all went nuts. They, they couldn't believe that the, the, the fire that I had, the, the, uh, well, they just couldn't, they didn't expect what they got out of it when they saw me. They just thought I was another guy that came in, you know, on his weekly deal and, and, you know, got beaten. That was it and went home. But I came in and, uh, I, I, you know, Jimmy didn't expect it either, but I put on a show for him and they, they all went nuts. That was my first match down here in Florida. Right, because you had already been wrestling, but those guys look at you like this was the first time you were there. I mean, you know, this yeah. is your first time in the ring because they don't know you, right? Exactly. Well, Les Thornton and Flair knew me, but the other nobody else did. You know, and then so, but, but they put it, they took me back there because I, I rode right. with uh, Les Thornton up and down the highway in, in Knoxville, and so you know. I got to know him a little bit, and he was, you know, he's a really nice guy. So I started doing a lot of TV there, and uh, you know, after after the match with Jimmy Garvin, every Wednesday everybody would go look at the schedule, who was working with who, and they'd go on and go, well, who's working with the kid today? Everybody wanted to work with me because everybody just knew that it was going to be, you know, it was going to be a good match, and 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 it was, and um, and that's what got me started was just, you know. 
I was only 165, 170 pounds then. I wasn't a very big guy. Yeah, five, I was five eight, but, uh, you know, 160, 170 pounds, that wasn't a lot of weight. Wasn't big. When you were wrestling down there in Florida, what do you think it was that you, you brought to the table that, you know, helped make you successful in the ring? Well, because I was, one, I was in shape because of coming out of Knoxville training for two years i never trained in the ring i always trained on the mats and all we did was work out with the college teams of the wrestling team so i had a different i have a, had a different style of wrestling than everybody else did because mine was more of a amateur based uh style of wrestling all the fundamentals of wrestling that i incorporated into the professional wrestling world and so i i, I meshed the two together with, and I was in shape, and I was fast, and I was all over the place. I could fly. I could do anything. And, you know, and, and when somebody would, you know, when, a lot of times you see when somebody gets hit by by one of the top guys, the guy that they're working with on TV, if they hit them, they just flop and they hit the ground, and that's it. The guy's got to go over and pick them up, and, you know, and go on. Well, as soon as I hit the mat, oh, I was back up. I sold it, but I came back. I never, never quit fighting. Always fought back. Always kept going. Always had that amateur style base that I could incorporate into professional wrestling, and, and, and I got over with it. Let's talk a little bit about the NWA Junior Heavyweight Title. Sure. Of the world. That's right. Let's talk, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that title in that era, that period. Uh, what was that like for you? Well, that wasn't, they didn't have that in Florida. Les Thornton was the world junior heavyweight champion in that. So he was coming into Florida doing that. I didn't get to the NWA world junior heavyweight champion until Starcade 84. So that was a, that was a whole different thing. And, uh, I don't know if I had said this to you before, but, you know, that was one of the, you know, they didn't give me a great push, but they, they put me out there to where, you know, that I worked with a lot of the guys that, that did a lot of the angles that Dusty came out and saved a lot and, you know, and or somebody was always out there saving me because they were always out there to destroy me. So they, they used me as a, as a prop being a world champion to get people over you know, by doing the things that they would do to me, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uh, in a program or, you know, doing a, you know, like Arn Anderson, he'd come out and he'd try to cripple me. Flair tried to cripple me. Uh, Wahoo McDaniels, Tully Blanchard tried to cripple me, but Dusty always came out and saved me. So, you know, when, every time they were working a program or trying to do something, you know, and somebody to come out, you know, and save somebody that, you know, it was always working a program that, uh, that they, you know, so they were always showing that, you know, I, I was a competitor and I could work with them, but they had to go out of their way to try to cripple me to where they would ruin my career. And that was part of what they would use in, you know, every, in, in all the angles, especially with Dusty. Anytime he was shooting an angle for somebody else, he'd always put me out there first and then come save me. That's what I experienced a lot. But it was came off of TV and getting into the into the uh, 
house shows and everything was a different thing because he put me with all the other guys that I could work with. And I was always, you know, the guy that put all the time in. I was, you know, World Junior Heavyweight Championship, first match, you know, as soon as the curtain goes up, there I am. And I always had a great match. So my experience was that uh, Dusty kind of put me over the underneath guys and said, hey, these are your boys. Go out and work with them. And that's what I did. And, and uh, we had some good times. had some good matches. And I was, you know, and I got to work with a lot of great guys, you know, even though I did still work with the guys like you, you're, you know, with Bart and all those guys. I still work with them still. On TV and a lot of the big guys that were way bigger. I got up to 190 pounds, which made me look a lot better. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that I was, you know, I was always in the middle of the mix of the program with everybody because I could work with everybody, anybody. And it always look and always have a great match. What was it like working for Dusty back then? Whether it be in Florida or in the Mid Atlantic area, what was it like? Because, he was definitely a, a very special wrestler at that time, mm-hmm. especially that time, right? Special, special all the way around for for a long time oh, in yeah. wrestling. But that was that was a magical time for him. What was it like being around him? Oh, I was one of his boys, <laughs> you know. And when you're one of his boys, he takes care of you, and he always took care of me. You know, all he, he always made uh, sure that you know when we we got treated well, he flew. He, you know, put me on the first show at the Starcade, and they took care of me over that. They gave me the world championship. He took uh, me, Manny Fernandez, Dickie Slater, and was over in a show in South Carolina. He rented a private plane and, and a limo and took us to a Willie Nelson concert where we all got up on stage, Chris Christopherson and all them. I mean, he, you know, he'd drive around, he'd, you know, make sure he'd, say, he'd tell me to meet him here and all. He'd take me all, a lot of the shows with him. Yeah, you know, when we, uh, you know, I was riding around with him before everybody else came in. Yeah, but Dusty took care of me. Always, you know, you know, he, it was, it was one of the greatest experiences in my life because, I mean, you know, Dusty was wrestling before I ever even thought about becoming a wrestler, you know, so, and I've always watched, especially here in Florida because, you know, Florida was the epic center of, you know, wrestling, professional wrestling. And he was here. So I've always watched him. I used to go to the armories downtown in Tampa and go there and watch him and all that stuff. But being around those guys, which was especially Dusty, who was, you know, a hero to me, you know. And, and, and here I am. Next thing I know. He's got me working first match every single night, and he's putting me on them, taking me all the big shows, putting me out there first because he know he needed for one. And he told a guy one day, he says, that guy gets all my time, and he has all the best matches, and he's always on first. And that's how Dusty saw me. And then he said that right to some other guy while I was standing there. It had to make you feel pretty good getting the endorsement stamp from the American Dream, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it did. I mean, I my chest pump bowed up. I, yeah, and and everybody treated me the you know the same way. You know, I was because everybody I worked with, you know, I worked hard and I fought hard with them. And you know, I mean, it wasn't a you know a, a shoot fight or anything like that. But I mean, it was a 
it was, it was a competitive match for everybody that I got to work with, regardless of the situation. And that's what everybody liked about him. And, you know, and I never laid down. I always got up. And it was just, yeah, Dusty put me in a really good spot. And I, and I made a lot of great, you know, just, it was just, uh, you know, I've, I grew up watching it ever since I was seven years old. So here I am, a guy that, you know, been watching this, you know, as a kid, seven years old, and watching Florida Championship Wrestling with Eddie Graham back in his heyday and all those other guys, Sam Steamboat and everybody and all that. And here, you know, later on in life, especially in the, you know, earlier 80s, here I am right in the middle of the mix of all of these guys, and one of the biggest stars ever, Dusty Rhodes, is endorsing me as my guy for time, for talent, and, you know, and, and opens my show for me every night. So, yeah, that, that's, that was a pretty amazing thing for me. Pretty amazing. And Dusty was the type of guy that, you know, if if you were one of his boys, you were one of his boys for life. Yeah. Or until you weren't one of his boys anymore. <laughs> right. That, and that happened. And that happened too. <laughs> well, a lot of people liked working for with Dusty, right? Yeah, Dusty was. Well, you knew when you were with Dusty. Dusty had a great mind for the business and the industry and everything. And you know, Dusty had stuff planned out. You know, probably a year in a, uh, advance. You know, I, I think I had said something to you. You know, before I even went to Charlotte down here in Florida, he'd already told me that I was World Junior Heavyweight Champion, and I didn't have a match. Uh, you know, and I got there in September, and we didn't have a match probably till three to what November. Thanksgiving, that I didn't even get actually a shot at the belt until then. They didn't even have a belt until then. So, yeah, he, he just had everything so far, so planned out, so far ahead that, you know, his story is, you know, he, he just had it all set up and lined up to where he just, he had a team and he, and he selected his team and he put those guys together and, and he knew how to work them. He knew everybody, everybody knew their place. Nobody questioned it. And we all went out and did our job and we did it for him because he was taking care of us and we were doing pretty good. So, I mean, what else could you ask for? I mean, geez, yeah, you know, when, when he, he, he selected you, there was a few that got a little upset because they didn't, they said, well, I thought I was one of Dusty Boys too, but. Well, I guess I was one of the first because he, he's picked me out of the crowd and sent me to Charlotte before he did anybody else. And that was one of the great split that you and I talked about between uh, Dusty and Eddie or Hero, you know, however that went down, I don't know. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. So in, in 1984, there was a big show in Miami, right? Yeah. The Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Ring. Yeah, way before the Lord of the Rings came out. The movie, right? Lord of the Rings, three or a bunch of them. So, yeah. And, and this was a huge part. Yeah. Yeah, I worked with Hector that night. That's when Hector and I started getting together quite a bit. And, uh, cause that was, that was part of Eddie's doing. Eddie wanted, he went to Hector one day and he said, he said that, he goes, that kid's got something. He says, I want you to get with him. I want you to work with him. 
he was talking about me. So here's another one of my heroes giving me another endorsement, saying, hey, work with that kid. And he did. And I was working with Eddie or uh, Hector and Chavo came in. And Chavo was another great talent, you know. I mean, geez. And I worked with him all the time and a lot and did tag matches with him. So, yeah, it was a uh, – yeah, he took when Dusty came. Dusty fired me when he first came in and took over the book from from Dory. I was working every night. Those the back before all this started. Dory was there. Uh, Eddie Graham put me in Terry Allen's spot because Terry blew his knee out, and uh, so I'll, he he grabs me and he says, "Here, I kid, I got something for you." Because he knew I lost my job, you know, doing TV for him. And uh, he put me in uh, to tag up with uh, Brian Blair. Brian Blair, you know, I'm working semi-main event down there. For, you know, I'm going all over the place. I'm really having a really good time. And then, then uh, Dusty comes in, and the first thing Dusty did was take the crew and told the guys who he wanted. Me and two other guys, he said, I don't need you. I went, oh, no. <laughs> no, don't say that. Yeah. But if you want to come down and do TV, I'll let you do TV. And I'm going, oh, crap. Here we go, starting over again. Yeah, so what was the turning point where you you weren't one of Dusty's boys, but you were doing TV, but then you became one of Dusty's boys? How did that come about? Obviously, because he, he appreciated the way you worked. Well, he didn't really know me. And, and, and he, you know, he called us in the office and had a conversation. And, you know, and that was right after Dory went back to Charlotte and Dusty came down here. And he just said he had his crew and he says, I don't really have a spot for you. I can, you know, and, I mean, he wasn't mean about it. And I said, well, I said, I've been working every night. He said, and he says, yeah, I know. And I know you're talented. And he says, you can still, you can keep working and, you know, just keep working and, you know, we'll see where it goes. And so I did. That's exactly what I did. And I, and I kept working. I kept working hard. I got bigger. I got stronger. And I, I just started getting, you know, better and better because then I got in with Mike Davis and Mike Rotundo and Barry Wyndham. And then, you know, so all these guys are starting to, are starting to grab and hang on to me too. So now you, you see that, you know, we've formed a, a friendship. And, you know, Dusty may have saw that too, but, you know, I'd come out of doing TV, I'd come out of the sportatorium after a match and Dusty'd sit up there because he always watched everything on the monitor. And every time I'd walk back in, he goes, gold star for Denny Brown. (laughs) You know, because I was just working my butt off and he just, you know, he just really enjoyed it and really appreciated it. And he rewarded me for it. And he noticed it for sure, right? Obviously. Oh yeah, the gold stars are great. Yeah. So one day I come back in after doing uh, my TV match, and I walk by up to the desk, and he goes, "Hey kid," I go, "Hey." He goes, "What is it you want to do?" I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "What is it that you want to do?" I said, "Well, Dusty, you already know." I said, "I've been trying to get into the business full time." He goes, "You got it, kid." So I worked my way into it. I worked my ass off. <laughs> I worked my ass off to get there, and I did. And uh, and it, for the, all the hard work and everything that I did paid off, you know, and hanging around with Mike Rotunda and Mike Davis, for the most part, it really paid off too. 
because they took the skill that I had on the mat in the ring and put the psychology into my brain, in my head, where I could see every bit of it. And once that happened, um, uh, it just it was just harmonious. I mean, I could see everything. I could call out, you know, we could do whatever it is you want to do in the ring. If you said it or called it out or whatever, I already saw it all in my head. And I went through it. I could, and I, and I went from, you know, because there's always somebody leading the match in the ring. And I went from just, you know, following and, you know, leading everybody or having everybody, you know, lead me because that's, you know, I was putting them over. So that means that, you know, they were in charge. And I knew that and I didn't question it. But it went from that aspect of, uh, me working, you know, of following to the point to where, I was leading and, you know, all the, then I got into all the house shows and next thing you know, you know, I'm the general in the ring and I'm leading everybody and, you know, but there was a few that, you know, that we already worked together so much like Hector and, and Mike Davis and heck, uh, um, Gary Royal was another one. I mean, I could go out there and Half the time we wouldn't even have to say a word and we'd go through a match because we've done it so many times and they just, you know, rip the house down at a first match. And Dusty's sitting out there, you walk back in to the dressing room, he's grinning ear to ear because he never had to step out to watch it. He could just tell by the way the crowd, you know, how responsive they were. And that's all he cared about and that's what it was. And he just kept taking, he just, you know, he just kept taking me with him, and I just kept following along. And one night we was in Cleveland, and he goes, uh, he goes, I remember, and all you had was a duffel bag. And then I was carrying around my old Halliburton. You know, I went from a duffel bag to a Halliburton, and he reminded me. He said, you know, I remember the time when that's all you had was a duffel bag. And so that tells me that uh, I'd made it. Hey, let's go back to that period in, in Florida that kind of caused the split. We touched on it a little bit, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about it. It was the Lord of the Rings. It was on June 30th of 1994. You guys were – where was that? Was that Miami? Big event? Sold out half the side of the stadium. So, I mean, the whole half side of the stadium was sold out. I mean, you know, it didn't fill this whole stadium up, but that was a pretty large crowd when you take, you know, when you, from end zone to end zone, one half of the stadium, and it was packed. And it was a big show. And it was a heck of a show. So they, they drew a really nice crowd. And I bring up this event because this is a key event in, in, in this, this era of, of wrestling because being a kid and only getting the magazines, not being able to see uh, championship wrestling from Florida, but, you know, from one month to the next, there's Florida wrestling, and then all of a sudden, Dusty's in Mid-Atlantic, right? And it was like one of those what-happened-here kind of situations for me, right? If you were a kid watching the program uh, maybe down there in Florida or St. Petersburg, uh, you, you knew everything that was going on. But for me, I kind of got the news uh, late, and it was a big surprise to me. But kind of take to me, 
talk to me a little bit about the split, how, you know, how things went down, what the, the what the atmosphere was like between the boys during that time. It was, you know, it was kayfabe. I really didn't know. Nobody really knew. I didn't know anyway. I mean, I was just still working, going to all the towns. You know, I, I, I was oblivious to all of it. I didn't even know anything had happened. That's so like I told you. I didn't even know anything that happened until the night that I was, we were at the Sun Dome over at USF over here in Tampa. We had a big show there and, um, and it was strange that, uh, Kevin Sullivan walks up to me and, Asked me if I can make a town. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you asking me that? I'm, you know, I'm working for you guys. And that's when Dusty walked up. And this is the first I, you know, I found out that anything was going on. He said, no, he can't make that. It'll be in Charlotte. And I went, I, I, I was, I was caught off guard because I, I had no, I didn't, I had no idea. None. None. So, and then, then the boys started talking about it. I mean, they, you know, so, like I said, you know, earlier that, you know, some of the boys, a lot of them knew who the, who was going because Dusty would get with everybody, you know, I'm sure one at a time, you know, off to the side or whatever, you know, call them in, call them on the phone or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure he told them, but mine was one of those that, uh, you know, I don't guess, uh, you know, need to know basis. And I guess I didn't need to know. And until it was time for me to go, and he he pulled me out of there quick because I think that you know that the, his plan for me it was already set in his mind and in his book that you know this kid's going to be you know he's going to be my show starter, and you know and I can move him along the way and use him in a lot of different things you know events angles and this that and so he had a. He had a uh, a plan for me the whole time, but I didn't really know of anything until, you know, after the fact that it is that I was asked to go to a town, which, you know, you just hand me the booking sheet and I'd have made it there or not. And then uh, Kevin's asking me and not Dusty, and I'm, I'm, I was just confused. And then uh, next thing I know, I'm in Charlotte by myself. And then, you know, all I know is I heard that there was supposed to be a wow, big payday. That's interesting. And evidently that didn't happen and the way that I was told that it didn't happen. So that was all I really knew about it. And, and, and you know, from what I know, what I was to- told, that it was Eddie and Dusty had a, a fallen, uh, you know, fell apart. And that was all I knew. And that's all anybody ever told me. You're the one that brought the news to me that it was a, there was a heat between Dusty and Hiro Matsuda, which I didn't know until you told me, which was just a few days ago. You know that that's that's somebody else's story too. You know that according to Kevin Sullivan, that was what he told me. But you know, there's more people are telling me the same story that you're telling me, right? So you know, it's one of those things that you know, well. Is it this or is it that, right? That And that's why it's so interesting of, you know, because it could be either one of those things or all those things together, right? A little piece of this, yeah. a little piece of that. But, you know, I've heard the thing about the payout on that show not being what the guys thought it was going to be. Well, it was Dusty, and I'm sure Dusty was the one that was looking at it. And it could have been some of the other guys there, too. I mean, you had guys, you know, that came from different territories that were there, 
you know, that worked that show too, you know, superstar Billy Graham and, you know, all these other people that came from, that traveled to get there. Uh, I, so I would assume that would be the, you know, those guys may have said something, but, you know, Kevin was always part of the office. So he knew the inner, inner goings on in most of the offices. So if Kevin tells you that, you know, I would imagine that's probably part of the case as well. You know, Kevin was always on the inside of everything. Always was, always has been. And, you know, he was quiet about it. He never really said too much. But, uh, you know, I know I know Kevin ever since I got into the business because he was good friends with the guy who trained me. And um, so when he found out he knew who trained me, I always – he always respected me because he knew what I had to go through in order to get into the business with the guy who trained me, you know. So yeah, I had a lot of respect with them and worked with him and uh, down when it was uh, up in Knoxville quite a bit doing TV up there. So that's how I got to know him as well, you know. So so if Kevin tells you something, he's pretty, you know, he's probably right. He's probably giving you some of the information that a lot of the other guys didn't know. I love listening to the stories about Dusty and Florida and your adventures there, and there's so much more that we could talk about. And and I'm going to bring you back for sure. But when you think about that time, you know what was it magical for you? You kidding? Uh, yeah, it was the best time of my life. You know, you talk about on Clyde, you know, being on cloud nine. Jeez, uh, it was. A, most beautiful time that I can think of in my life that, you know, being in the wrestling industry and in the business where, you know, for, for at least a good solid 15 years uh, and, and meet all the people that I met and got to do the things that I did and, you know, and the great friends that I still have today is, is amazing. It's amazing. And the respect that I have from all those people is even more amazing to me. Well, Denny, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm so glad that we were able to connect and talk. And uh, I'm going to bring you back. We're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna talk again. Okay, sounds great. I look forward to it. You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fulton. The Pro, Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume 1. One. Bill Dundee, Super Mex Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Russellville. it's where wrestling, wrestling is.